the first time that you've never heard before and you like it. Thank you, ladies and worship team, for that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ, you're here with us. Those few phrases should change everything for us. It is why we are here this morning. It's why we celebrate. It's what we celebrate. It's the heart of what we do. Jesus Christ becoming a baby, born to die, so that we would be born to life. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13. What a fitting chapter to look at this Advent season. We plunge the depths of the love of Christ. It's called the love chapter for a good reason. 1 Corinthians 13, if you'll turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to read the entire chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. It's verses 1 through 13. Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all away, away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. But these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, help us to have ears to hear, hearts to comprehend, faith to believe that your word is true, that your word is powerful. Allow this double-edged sword to cut us and divide us and allow us to open up and see the depth of your love and allow us to be empowered by that love to love others so that Love may be our brand. Love may be our token. Love may be our calling card. That the world will know we are Christians by our love. Help us, we pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Everyone and everything has a brand today. The art of branding is a multi-million dollar enterprise. 
See, branding is all about taking something, you create something and creating a unique identity to it in order to set your product, your service, your person apart from someone else. It's what makes something unique, whether it's a person or a product or a service. They all seek to answer this question. How do we stand out from the pack? What makes us different? So you think of the, the, the most cherished branding in, in recent history, Coke, Pepsi. Who's Coke fans? Pepsi? Oh, come on, Pepsi, you got to represent a little better. I'm Pepsi. But you know what? Coke actually has better branding. Who doesn't love the adorable polar bears? I mean, come on. Coke has destroyed it with branding. Pepsi, what's pet, you know. But you think of Coke, you think of the cuddly little polar bears. That's branding. You want to see branding in full effect? Go watch a professional sports team, professional sports game. See, last Monday night, Calvin and I were able to go to the Eagles versus Giants game. It was part of his 16th birthday present. It's not something we do every day. It's actually the first game I've ever been to. And it was a good game, right, for those who stayed up to watch it, overtime win. It's fascinating because you see the branding and its impact on sociology. It's branding on the impact of the corporate gathering of people. Do you know how? Fly, Eagles, I'm not going to sing it. Fly, Eagles, fly. That is branding. It's the Eagles fight song. And here's the thing I didn't actually know about the game. After the, you don't see this. There's a lot of things you realize when you're actually there that you're like, wow, I'm not used to that because I'm used to watching on TV like the first down line. Trying to track that's a little harder when you're sitting up in the nosebleed seats. And we were about like, you know, six seats out of, almost out of the stadium. But you're watching that, and you're seeing, and the other thing they do, which I thought was fascinating, is that they actually, after the Eagles scored a touchdown, which took a long time, they actually, the uh, cheerleaders, and then the drum line come out into the end zone, and they celebrate, and they lead the crowd in the fight song. You don't see that on TV. That's something I didn't know. So you hear the E-A-G-L-E-S, Eagles. That is Branding. Even as we left the stadium, everyone's excited because the Eagles beat the pathetic, lowly Giants in overtime. And so everyone's walking down the steps, and there's a lot of steps to get out of the stadium, and you're walking down. So what do you occupy yourself as you're walking down the steps? You just randomly step down the steps, E-A-G, and someone just starts it. So the entire time, it took like I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, it felt like, just to get down a few flights of stairs because of the crowds of people. And you're sitting there chanting E-A-G-L-E-S the whole time. And as you're walking out away from the stadium, you're still hearing chants E-A-G-L-E-S. By the time Calvin and I left, our voices were gone. We were yelling a lot and booing a lot in the first half. Collectively, And that's what's fascinating about this from a sociological perspective. You have, I don't think there were 70,000 people there that time, but you have up to 70,000 people there collectively doing one thing together, joining together, joining voices and booing for the entire first half and yelling, you guys are awful. And then the next half, the collective gas, we might actually come back and win this. And then the joy of giving high fives to complete strangers. 
And then the, the, the hilarity, but sadness as well, is that I still blew my mind. There's a guy there who's drunk who just was standing up one minute. The next moment, his head is in the seats and his feet are sticking up straight. And I have no idea how it happened. But it's an Eagles game. Things like that happen. The thing that's fascinating about that is that they were all united under a brand. United under the Eagles chant. And the interesting thing with branding is that many churches and pastors have also fallen into the branding craze. And I don't think it's necessarily wrong because branding is simply what is, answers the question, who are you? What is your identity? What makes you unique? What do you have to offer? And I think those are actually good questions for the church to consider. That's kind of what we're doing as we've been walking through 1 Corinthians. What is our identity as a church? What is our brand? What are we supposed to look like? But I think there's a danger in focusing on branding too much. See, branding, which seeks to convey the church's unique identity to others, is a small piece of the puzzle. We can have the greatest branding strategy for church growth, the greatest branding strategy for church health, and greatest branding strategy for church identity, but if we don't have love, it's all vain. It's all meaningless. It's all worthless. We can have the best social media presence, a beautiful website, an active Instagram account with countless followers, but still be completely empty if we do not have love. If we are a loveless church, we are a meaningless church. We are an empty church. So here's the focus this morning, Grace Chapel. We must be branded in love. If we are to have a brand as far as of Christ, it must be love. And we must live in everlasting love. So when people think and hear of Grace Chapel, they must not think of our building. They shouldn't think of Darby and Eagle Road. They shouldn't think of our programs. They shouldn't think of what we do. They should think about what we have carried out in love towards one another. I want Grace Chapel to be known not for what we do as much as how we love. Not for our building, not for our programs, but how we love one another and love those outside. Christ's love should be our brand. So we walk through 1 Corinthians 13 this morning. I want to focus on three things. In verses 1 to 3, what does life without love look like? Life without love in verses 1 to 3. We can have everything, but if we live life without love, we gain nothing. Secondly, in verses 4 to 7, life with love. If we are to live life with love, then what is love? What does it look like? And lastly, in verses 8 to 13, we'll see that how to live a life with love is to live in everlasting love. And how in the world do we live in everlasting love of Christ? So, life without love, life with love, and the end, living in everlasting love. Let's begin. Verses 1 to 3, life without love. We may have everything, but if we don't have love, we have nothing. 
Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The previous chapter, Paul ends by encouraging the Corinthians to pursue the greater gifts, to earnestly desire them. Those gifts help build up the church. But he continues by saying that the gifts, no matter how great, are not enough. There is a still more excellent way. What he's saying is that there is something greater than the tongues of men and angels. There is something greater than prophetic powers. There is something greater than all understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. There is something greater than a faith that moves mountains. There is something greater than giving up everything you have, even your life. And what could be so great? Brothers and sisters, it is love. Love is greater. See, without love, our gifts are worthless. We may speak in the magnificent tongues of men and angels, but those words are worthless without love. We may have prophetic powers to know the future, but without love, those powers are worthless. We have made great understanding into the mysterious mysteries of Holy Scripture, but no matter how much Bible knowledge we have, it is worthless if we do not have love. You could even say it's destructive without love. We may give up everything we have, move overseas for the name of Christ, but if we don't do it in love, we are wasting everything. We may one day end up dying for the sake of Christ, but if we don't do it out of love, it's all in vain. Have you ever heard a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal? Right? I almost thought about having one of the drummers come up and just bang on it the entire sermon. They are empty, alone, alone, gongs and cymbals are empty, hollow, and downright obnoxious when that's all you have. See, gongs and cymbals are used as an accent, an accompaniment, instruments that provide a little extra oomph in the musical piece. But generally speaking, they're not meant to be alone, right? Kind of. You maybe, maybe you could, I don't know if you could do a drum solo with cymbals. When they're alone, they're harsh, they're hollow, they're empty, and they're obnoxious. They're the, the, their gifts without love are like nails on the chalkboard. That's what Paul is trying to convey to us. We can have all the greatest spiritual gifts in the world, but without love, our gifts are harsh, hollow, empty, and meaningless. Let's make it a little more practical. We can have the greatest programs, a perfectly orchestrated discipleship plan, a clear vision of how Grace Chapel will move forward into the future. But if we don't have love, it is all worthless. We can all have well-attended programs, a great adult Bible fellowship, fully staffed children's ministries. That would be a miracle, right? But without love, it is all meaningless. We can have beautifully designed websites, tons of Facebook followers, great Google reviews, but if we don't have love, church, we gain nothing. Nothing. Life without love. A church without love. Followers of Christ without love. 
is a clanging cymbal, a hollow, ringing gong. It's empty, hollow, meaningless. When others think of and hear the name Grace Chapel, what are they hearing? What are they thinking? Are they hearing a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal? Or are they knowing of our deep love for Christ and for one another? So what is love? What is life with love? The second point. If life without love is harsh, empty, and hollow and meaningless, then what does a life with love look like? Listen to verses 4 to 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Under this heading of life, without lo- with, lo- life with love, I want us to think briefly of three aspects of this. Three aspects of love. The first one is, what is the nature of love? What is love like? Secondly, what is the foundation of love? And third, what is the direction of love? So under life with love, three things. Life, the nature of love, the foundation of love, the direction of love. So what is the nature of love? If you could sum up verses 4 to 7, which is actually really hard to do. Go ahead and try that sometime. Try to sum up love. The best way I could come up with is that it's a two-sided coin. On one side of the coin is selflessness. On the other side of the coin is other personness. It's terrible, right? <laughs> That's the best I can do. Selflessness and other personness, other person focused. True love is selfless love. True love is love that cares for one another. We see it. Patient love, kind love, does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. What we see here from this is clear is that love is carried out in a relationship. You need to love another Love is expressed towards someone else. When we show patience and kindness towards another, we show our love doesn't insist on our own way, but selflessly seeks the good of others. Our love bears whatever comes against us. Our love believes all things. It's the idea of giving the benefit of the doubt to someone. Our love is hopeful towards others. Our love endures all things for God's glory and for the good of others. True love is both an action and an attitude of selflessness and other-focused love. True love is both an action and attitude of selfless and other-focused love. But what is its foundation? The second one under this heading. The foundation of true love is God's love for us in Christ. Did you ever think about how the world loves the idea of love? Pretty much every song I was reminded of the uh, 90s dance hit, What is Love? Baby, don't hurt me. Baby, don't hurt me anymore. The, The world is looking for love, and the world has no conception because apart from Christ, 
No one will ever understand the height and the depth and the width and the expanse of true love. Only those who know and love and serve Christ are capable of truly living life with love. True love is possible only as it flows out of the love of God in Christ. Where does it start? We love God because God himself, who is love, first loved us. Listen to the words of Apostle John. In chapter 4, verses 7 to 10, he writes to 1 John, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation of our sins. Love is from God. If we truly love, we do so because we have been born again by God's great love for us. God's love made manifest when he sent his beloved son to die on the cross. We celebrate at Advent season God's love for us. Hallelujah, the king has come. We sing that because God has first loved us. John says this is what true love looks like. That God sent his son to be the propitiation. In other words, to satisfy God's wrath against us. Jesus Christ bore the anger of God. Jesus Christ bore the wrath of God that we deserve, that we should have suffered under. Christ took it upon himself. That's what that word propitiation means. He suffered. God poured out his wrath. God's wrath had to be satisfied. And he poured it out upon his son. And it should have been poured out in each and every one of us. That is love. Love came down at Christmas. Love, all lovely, love divine. Love was born at Christmas. Stars and angels gave the sign. Worship we the Godhead. Love incarnate, love divine. Worship we are Jesus, but wherewith for sacred sign. Love is what we celebrate this Advent season. The love of Christ that God gave his son for us. That is love. But love doesn't just have a foundation, it has a direction. There must be a, a focus of love. See, when we receive the love of God, we don't receive it for ourselves only. We receive it to give it back. So we have a Godward focus and an otherward focus or an outward direction. There's a up, we could say there's an upward direction and an outward direction. We give the love of God back to him by loving him and back to others. The great commandment, love God love others. Those are the greatest, first greatest, and second greatest commandments. Listen again to the words of the Apostle John. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. 
If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What John is saying, if God loves us, we must, not optional, we must love one another. And if we're loved by God out of the overflow of that love, we love others. As followers of Christ, as the redeemed children of God, we are to be marked by our love. The measure of our spirituality is not in our gifts, in our abilities, our programs, or our activities. The measure of our spiritual maturity as individuals and as the body of Christ is our love. Love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and others. Love for plea and gift and sign. Love to God and others. Is love our token? Is love our mark? Is love the measure? What we measure our spiritual lives with? Do we love God and do we love others? Do people see God in us through our love? John just said that no one sees God, but God abides in us. And when God abides in us, his love is perfected and made manifest. No one sees God, but through our love of one another and through our love of God, the world does see God. The glimpse of his love as we love God and others. In other words, we make God known through our love toward God and toward one another. We make God known. Last point. Before we end, let me teach you a little Turkish. Sevgi asla son bomas. It's been a long time since I've said those words. Can you guys say it with me? Do you want to try? Sevgi asla. Son Bomas. Not bad. I probably butchered the, 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 uh, it anyway. Here's what it means. Love never fails. Why is that after 20 years of, it's been over 20 years since I've been in Turkey, that phrase sticks with me is because a, a younger version of myself who was madly in love engraved those words on a little plaque and gave them to my wife. We were dating at the time, actually separated by oceans. She was in South America and I was in Turkey and we came back and I knew she was the one and I knew I just had to get up the courage to say yes, ask her dad, that was a big hurdle, and then ask her. And I wrote that, made that plaque with a little, you know, it's a little cheesy um, tree, like the cut in half and then you engrave it with the, with the um, wood burner. Sevgi asla son bomas. Love never fails. I think we still have it. I have no idea where it is. It's not hanging. But the idea is it stuck with me because, not just because it's an expression of my wife's, my love to my wife and her love to me, but more so the reason I could love Sarah and she could love me is because God's love never ends. So church, we are to live in an everlasting love. Look at verses 8 to 13. Paul writes, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, 
I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Love never fails is from the NIV. Love never ends is the ESV. Both convey the idea of the everlasting nature of love. It is without end. It never ends. It never fails. It will remain forever. Heaven and earth will pass away and be recreated. But love will remain. One day, Paul says, prophecies will pass away. One day, tongues will cease. One day, knowledge will pass away. One day, all of those gifts that are necessary today and essential to build up the body of Christ into maturity will no longer be necessary. Why? Because when Christ returns, we will see him face to face. And it will no longer matter. We will have reached the level of maturity that the gifts, the prophecy, the knowledge, the faith was to give. And there will be Christ. And we will be perfected, completed, fully conformed to the image of Christ. When Christ, the perfect one, comes, the partial will pass away. But until that time, the partial is necessary. We still need spiritual gifts, meaning we need the gifts of each and every one of us to build up the body of Christ into its fullness of maturity. We will all need each other and one another's gifts until the day of Christ's returns. And that day we long for, but it is not yet. Paul says, for now, as we live in the, this in-between time, we are children. We speak like a child. We think like a child. We reason like a child. But one day we are going to grow up. We will become men and women. Then we will give up our childish ways. Paul's using the analogy of children to describe the need for our spiritual gifts. We are not yet fully mature disciples of Jesus Christ. We are moving in that direction, but we are not there yet. And we need those spiritual gifts. Those gifts build us up. We need them because we see in a mirror dimly. But when Christ returns, we'll see him face to face. Now we know only in part. We don't have the full picture because we don't have Christ fully. But when Christ returns, we will know fully as we have been fully known. Our spiritual gifts will no longer be needed because we'll have Christ face to face. Faith, hope, and love abide they will not pass away. When Christ returns, faith, hope, and love will remain. But the greatest of these, Paul says, is love. Love is eternal. Love is everlasting. Love is without end. Love never fails. So if love never fails, then the question we need to ask is this. How do we live in that everlasting love of God? How do we live in God's everlasting love and how do we live it out? Just three brief things in conclusion. First, and this is foundational, remember your first love. If we are to live lives marked by love, then we must be regularly, consistently, daily basking in the love of God for us in Christ. John, 1 John 3, 1 should be a verse every follower of Christ should know well. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we 
should be called children of God. And so we are. What kind of love. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast unmeasured, boundless free, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changes never, never more. How he watches over his loved ones, died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watcheth over them from the throne. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me, and it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Remember the deep, deep love of Christ. Second, know that love now is preparation for love for eternity. What we do on earth is preparing us for eternity. We should start Loving now, not tomorrow, not later, now. We start now by loving God, by knowing of his love, and then loving others. As followers of Christ, understand, as Grace Chapel here, understand all of our programs, all of our spiritual gifts, all of our church growth efforts will pass away. This church building will be no more one time. All of our programs which we have done will be gone. What will remain? Love. The love we've shown in this building. The love we've shown through those programs. The love we've shown to God and to one another will remain. The love we do now is preparing us to love for eternity because love never ends. Third, we are to be branded in love. What marks you as a follower of Christ? Someone who's got a lot of Bible knowledge? Someone who's there every time the church opens its doors? Someone who is the leader? Is it your programs? Is it our church attendance? Is it even our spiritual gifts? What marks us? As far as of Christ, it must be our love, our love to God and our love to one another. Love shall be our token. Love be yours and love be mine. Love to God and others. May the world know that we are Christians by our love. May love be our brand, our theme, and our song. Take a quick peek at chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. Grace Chapel, this morning, we must pursue love. Love must become our identity. Love must become our song. Love must become our theme, our voice, our life. Live life full of love. Live life in everlasting love. Love God. Love others. Let love be our token. May we be marked, measured, and branded in love. Because these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, church, is love. Father, your love, the love that sent your Son to die in our place, the love that we celebrate, the love that came down at Christmas, the love that now reigns from the throne, the love that will come back in fire and power and might. May we love with that love.
Teach us to love one another. Teach us to love you. Help us to 